Thanks, Adam. Morning, church. It's good to see all of you this morning. I missed you last week. We were iced in, as many of you were, and uh, got cabin fever before it was all over. But man, it's beautiful out there this morning. Marsha and I watched the sun come up as we were on our way over here today. The, uh, I guess we were about George Bush and 75, and that little orange ball popped up on the horizon. All the flags were hanging limp against the flagpoles, and it was just still, and the city was quiet, and nobody stirring, very little traffic. And I was reminded, God is still on the throne. Amen. While we slept last night, he didn't. For he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And this morning, whatever is going on in your life, just remember he is still on the throne. He is still in control. And he still loves you with his whole heart. I love this time of year. Walked in this morning and saw that beautiful tree out there in the foyer. Somebody did a great job decorating that tree. It's beautiful. Saw the trees up here in the poinsettias. Just, man, I, I love this time of year. I love the stories that start circulating this time of year. Heard the one about the little boy that wanted a watch for Christmas. He was wearing his parents out about wanting a watch. Every time he had opportunity, he brought up the idea, I want a watch for Christmas. Finally, his dad just got about all of that that he wanted, and he finally turned to him in a day of frustration, and he said, listen, look at me. If you mention watch one more time between now and Christmas, you're not getting a watch for Christmas. Now, do you understand what I'm telling you? If you mention it again, we are tired of you wearing us out about a watch. Do you understand? If you mention again, you're not getting a watch. Yes. Well, he bit his tongue for the next several days, and then on Christmas Eve, their family had a tradition. They would sit down around the table, and they would take turns sharing their favorite Scripture for the year. It came to the little boy, and he said, My favorite Scripture this year is Mark 13, 37, which says, As I say to everyone, I now say to you, Watch. <laughs> and I love the Dear Santa letters that go out this time of year. I love those, man. Uh, the, the one that said, signed by Billy said, Dear Santa, I didn't get anything good last year. Come to think of it, I didn't get anything good the year before. This is your last chance, signed Billy. But I guess my favorite is the one that said, Dear Santa, there are three boys at our house. Jeff is two. David is four. Norman is seven. Jeff obeys some of the time. David obeys most of the time. Norman obeys all the time. I am Norman. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not Norman. And that's why I need a Savior. And that's why this time of year is so particularly meaningful to me because we go back and revisit the coming of the one who came to set us free from our sin. Now, 
I know that the odds are way against the fact that Jesus was born on December 25th, okay? As a matter of fact, the odds are about 365 to 1 he wasn't born on December 25th. And so you don't need to come up and remind me of that or send me an email. But the birth events of Jesus were so important to God, he spent four chapters in the New Testament describing those birth events. Four chapters. Now, when God spends four chapters rehearsing for us something he deems to be important, I think it's important for us to revisit. And why not during this season of the year when everybody else is thinking about it anyway? Amen? So today and next Sunday, we're going to go back and look at the old story that never grows old. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to two places. One, would you open to Matthew 1? Matthew 1. And put a marker there. We're going to get to Matthew 1 in just a little bit. Matthew 1. When you have marked Matthew 1, turn over to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to start. Luke 1. We're going to start reading about verse 26. Luke 1, 26. Everybody got it? Say, got it? Not there yet? Wait. Okay, here we go. In the sixth month, now let's stop right there for just a minute. This is a reference to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth is the cousin of Mary. And so if you go back and carefully read the narrative, this is a reference not to a a month in the calendar, but to the month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, it says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, what angels typically say to humans, right? The angel said to her what? Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, I'm not sure she heard that last part. She's still back there on that part that says, You're going to be with child and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. She's still back there. She hadn't heard all that other stuff about the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Because the first question she asked is about that first part. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin, since I've never known a man? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. Listen to this. For nothing is impossible with God. Repeat after me. Nothing is impossible with God. Uh, You sound like you're in church. Come on now. Nothing is impossible with God. Whatever you face this morning, let those words ring in your heart. Whatever difficulty, whatever struggle, whatever disease, whatever you face, whatever struggle you have in your relationships, listen to this. Nothing is impossible with God. Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. Every time I read that story, questions start coming to me. I'd love to have some of the answers. One of these days, I will. But questions like, what was she doing when he came? Was it early in the morning? Was it in the afternoon? Was it in the evening? Was was she in the house? Was she away from the house running an errand for her parents? Was she in the house and her parents out of the house? I mean, where was she? What was she doing? where Where was it that the angel came? And suddenly, without warning, she is standing face to face with Gabriel. And she reacts like all human beings react when they find themselves in the presence of a heavenly visitor. She was terrified. The Bible says she was greatly troubled at his words. And when Gabriel sees the look on her face, the first thing he says to her is, do not be afraid, Mary. Okay, I've got a pet peeve. I'll get on the soapbox for just a minute, but I'll get off of it, all right? This time of year, people send us all kinds of Merry Christmas cards. And every once in a while, we'll get one of those cards that's got some of the old art on it or some of the new art that someone has. And, and it's got a picture of Mary. And she's there with this picture of calmness and serenity with a little halo over her head. And there are fat little cherubs on with little wings flying around her. And, and, and they look kind of like the effeminate boy from down the street. And, 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 and you start looking at that and you, they're not reading the same Bible I'm reading. Because she was not the picture of calmness and serenity. It terrified her. And they didn't look like the fat little boy from down the street. Every time an angel visits a human being, there is this enormous surrender and fear that overcomes them. Marsha and I moved to the Metroplex four years ago. We went to see ice for the first time. Have you ever seen, seen ice? If you haven't gone to see ice, go see it. Take your kids, take your grandkids, go to ICE. Where is ICE? It's at the Gaylord Texan in Grapevine. It's worth the trip. They, they bring in 2 million pounds of block ICE. 
And they fly in these Chinese sculptures with, with uh, chainsaws. And over the course of a couple of weeks, they transform these blocks of ice into some of the most amazing things you've ever seen. The first time we went, the theme was the Grinch that stole Christmas. The movie had just come out, and it was a big deal. And, and so it was the Grinch that stole Christmas. And we saw all of that stuff. It was just it was unbelievable what they could do. And finally, when you get to the end of ice, as you're making your way to the end, always at the end there's a nativity scene. We didn't know that. But the way they had it set up that first year, we were we we left the Grinch and we turned right, and there was this long hall draped with these big white, I mean big black canvases. And at the end of the hall, right at the end, there was this enormous angel. He must have been ten feet tall. Wingspan was unbelievable. They have him backlit so that it looks like he's glowing. And I walked around the corner, not even expecting, and I walked around the corner, and there he was. And literally, I lost my breath for a minute. I went, <gasps> now that is an angel. And isn't God gracious that he gives us the name of the one dispatched to give Mary the news? You know, in the Bible, we only, of all the myriads of angels that serve God, we only know the names of two of them. Michael, now when Michael shows up, there's going to be bloodshed. And Gabriel. And Gabriel is dispatched to this, this virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Jewish scholars, Jewish tradition, Jewish practice and the culture suggest Mary is about 14 15 years old. Let that sink in a minute. 14, 15 years old. I don't know about you, but I am tired of hearing people reference the teenagers of our churches as the church of tomorrow. Hey, they're the church of this morning. They are capable of incredible faith and leadership. And God entrusted to a teenage Jewess the birth of the Savior of the world. Suddenly he's there. She doesn't get what he's telling her. And when she asks, how can this be? The angel patiently explains to her that the Holy Spirit is going to come over her and she's going to be impregnated by the Spirit of God and what she is going to give birth to is the Son of God. And her response, 14, 15 years old, her response is, I'm the Lord's servant. And may it be to me as he has said, as you have said. A couple of things about her I want us to talk about for a minute before we move on to the other part of the story. Mary's surrender is something I want in my own life to try to imitate. Mary's surrender is spectacular to me. First of all, her surrender redefines favor of God. 
twice in this passage. Now, when God says something once, that's important. When God says something twice in just a few short verses, you need to pay attention. And twice she's referred to as someone upon whom the favor of God rests. Now, let me tell you, in our culture, what favor of God means to us, all right? Favor of God means to us, everything's going great in your life, everything. All the relationships are good, finances are good, marriage is good, kids are all good, job is great, everything is good. Favor of God. If God is showing his favor on you, you got no worries. But I want to tell you something, that is not what the favor of God is. When twice it says you are highly favored of God, this was about to begin an adventure with God that was going to cause her indescribable pain. And when I look at Mary's life and Mary's response, regardless of what it was going to cost her, she says by her surrender, I am ready to do what God wants. If God, if you want this for me, then I want this for me. She redefines for me the favor of God. There's something else about her surrender that I think is vitally important, and that's the fact that she trusts when she doesn't get explanation. She asked the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? And he carefully explains to her what was going to happen and how she was going to be impregnated by the Spirit of God. But did you notice what he did not explain? Like, how was she going to tell her parents? Now listen, the most faith-filled, understanding parents in the world would have found her story a stretch. Excuse me, sweetheart, you're going to have a baby, and yet you're still a virgin? And the baby that you're going to have is the Messiah we've been looking for for hundreds of years? Really? I mean, he doesn't explain how to deal with her parents. How in the world was she going to tell them? How did she tell them? Did she feel that knot in her stomach for days waiting to describe to them what had happened to her? I mean, how in the world was she going to deal with them? And then, how was she going to deal with Joseph? Did she lay awake at night for for days and days at a time trying to to figure out how in the world would be the best way to tell Joseph? I mean, how do you say to one to whom you are engaged, I'm going to have a baby and yet I'm a virgin? And he knows that baby's not his. And while she has no explanations, she decides to trust God to work it out in his plan. Church, I want that to be my faith. There are so many things in life I don't understand, I don't get, I can't explain. And, and, and I want to ask God, God, why this? Why me? Why now? Why our faith? Why? Why? Why God? And, and God doesn't give explanations sometimes. And what he says is, I want you to trust. And I'll work this out in my plan. Mary is known for her surrender. And when she says, may it be done to me, as you have said, it shouldn't surprise us 
that more than 33 years down the road, her son was going to say almost the same prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. May it be to me as you have said, Father. Now let's look at the other side of the coin. Matthew 1. Let's start reading at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, here's that that expression again, do not be afraid, right? Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, listen to this, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name, Jesus. How did Joseph respond when Mary finally told him? Was his first reaction one of anger or one of hurt? Was his first reaction one of betrayal One of frustration. Did he stay and listen to the whole explanation? Or in his hurt and pain did he turn and walk out of the room? I don't know exactly what his response was because the Bible doesn't tell us. But this we do know. He did not believe her story. In his culture... He had two ways of divorcing the one to whom he was engaged. We don't have divorcement during engagement. They did. You could make a public spectacle of the one who had betrayed you and make a big deal out of it. You could parade her sin before the entire community so that everyone would get in on it. And out of his hurt, how many of us who are males would have chosen that route? But not Joseph. Joseph had decided to put her away quietly, privately. He didn't want to inflict on Mary the hurt he himself was feeling. And as he's making his plans to divorce her, he goes to sleep one night and has a dream. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, in essence, Joseph, what she's been telling you is the truth. She's been speaking the truth to you. Now, I want you to join hands with me and embark on this adventure with me. I want you to trust me in this, but I want you to take her home and take her as your wife. 
And the next morning, he woke up. And the Bible says he took her home as his wife. And he lay next to her for months and never touched her intimately until she gave birth to a son. Man, there's a couple things about Joseph we need to take note of. One, Joseph is merciful. As I've tried to put myself in his sandals, if the one to whom I was betrothed came to me and said, I'm going to have a baby and I knew it wasn't mine, I would have responded with such anger and revolt. But Joseph responds with mercy. Is it a surprise that the boy who grew up in his home would later say such things as he sat down on a mountainside? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Is it a surprise that the one who grew up in Joseph's home would one day have an adulteress thrown in front of him in the temple courts and says, it's lost as we ought to stone her. What do you say? And he said, well, let the one without sin be the first to throw a rock at her. And he bends down and writes in the dirt. And after a while, there's just the woman and him. And he says, where are your accusers? No one here to condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord. And, she, and then he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Mercy instead of judgment. Joseph demonstrates a mercy we are going to see in the life and ministry of Jesus. His compassion, like Jeremiah says in Lamentations, new every morning. Second thing about Joseph, he's willing to risk everything on the basis of what God told him to do. You see, after the dream, and he takes Mary home to be his wife, shoes on the other foot. Now how's he going to deal with his parents? What, what is he going to tell his parents about all of a sudden his, his betrothed is with child and it's not his baby and now he's going to take her to be his wife anyway? I mean, how does he deal with his parents? And what does he say to Mary? How does he apologize to her? How does he say to her, I'm sorry, I doubted you, sweetheart. Please forgive me. How does he deal with that broken relationship that has just happened over the news that she is with child? Joseph is one whose faith demanded he grab hold of God's hand and walk with God into an adventure that he didn't know where it was going to take him. I want that to be my faith. Because sometimes doing the will of God can bring some of the greatest pain and heartache in your life. But let's do it anyway. Rick Warren preaches at Saddleback Community Church in Southern California. He tells the story that one time he was invited to preach in a church that was predominantly African-American. He said it was one of the greatest times of his life. He said they were so full of life and so full of energy and so expressive. He said, I loved their worship time. It was incredible how expressive and joy-filled they were as they sang their praise unto God. He said, right before I preached, they sang one last song. 
He said there were only actually two words. They sang, sang them as three. But he said they, they just sang these words over and over and over again. And, and, and they were the words, yes, Lord, yes. He said, I had never heard it before. And they started singing it. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. And they built to a crescendo. And finally they ended it. And he said, the preacher went to the microphone and he said, okay, Lord, you've heard our answer. Now what do you want us to do? Man, that's how I want to respond. My answer is yes, Lord. Yes. Now just tell me what you want me to do. I want to tell you, that was Joseph. Joseph responds to all of this by saying, yes, Lord, yes. Now, what do you want me to do? I want you to take her home as your wife. I want you to restrain yourself until she gives birth to a son. I want you to love him like he's your own. I want you to name him Jesus, Savior, because he's going to save his people their sin. Yes, Lord. Yes. Church, that's what I want my faith to look like. You? Amen? Let's pray together. Yes, Lord. Yes. That's our answer. And God, now we await your instruction on what you want us to do. Would you take us down the roads that you desire for us? Would you help us to have a surrender about us like Mary, who said, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you've said. God, may we have the compassion, the mercy of Joseph, who was willing to embark on an adventure with you that he didn't know where it was going to take him, but his answer was, yes, Lord, yes. God, I pray that you'll make us that way that we might hear your distinct call on our lives this morning, and that regardless of what it costs us, regardless of what comes our way, our answer to you is yes, Lord, yes. And I pray, oh God, you'll begin with me. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I want to visit with you for a few minutes. Back in August, the elders committed to you that we would, by the end of the year, um, bring a decision on the use of instrumental music in worship at Greenville Oaks. Now, we all know that the uh, exclusive use of a cappella music has been an identity marker for the Churches of Christ for a hundred years. But as Ian Fair shared with us this past summer in his class, it is not an essential issue. It is, however, an important one and an emotional one for many of us, and we take that very seriously. As the elders of the church family, You have entrusted us with a solemn responsibility to study, 
to pray and to discern the will of God for this church family. We take that trust very seriously. And so for the last several months, we have spent a considerable amount of time in study, in prayer, in fasting, and in discussions to revisit the question, is it biblically acceptable to worship God in the assembly of the church with singing that is accompanied by instruments? And also to fully explore the question, would it be missionally beneficial for Greenville Oaks to offer instrumental worship options in addition to our a cappella worship? To answer these questions, we carefully studied the material Ian shared last summer, plus additional scriptures, which we believe are very relevant to the questions. On the first question, the result of our studies confirm the understanding that we have held for many years. That is, that the New Testament writers simply do not address the use or non-use of instrumental accompaniment in worship. Our continued honest study of God's word and our high regard for the authority of scripture compels us to recognize that scripture does not require or prohibit instrumental accompaniment as we sing. Therefore, we continue to believe it is biblically acceptable to sing worship sermons with or without instrumental accompaniment. And as we've clearly stated, for everyone who's attended Discovering Greenville Oaks in the last 15 years, our practice of using a cappella music is simply a choice to honor our heritage and our branch of the American Restoration Movement and a matter of preference for many of us, but not a biblical requirement. We looked at the second question. In the context of our firm commitment to the overall mission of the church and the pursuit of the vision we've adopted, a vision to have ministries that are effective for reaching those in our community as well as our church, as we move forward, we will do whatever is needed to accomplish that mission and achieve our vision objectives. In that context, we believe offering an instrumental worship option would be a helpful way to connect with people who don't have or value our a cappella Church of Christ heritage. While we expect the addition of instrumental worship options will make good sense at some point in the future to achieve our mission and vision objectives, we are equally convinced that now is not the right time. Now is the time to focus on other aspects of our vision and ministry, efforts to strengthen our families and the families of the community around us. There are a number of good things coming next year, things like implementing faith at home, faith path and celebrate recovery, and hiring a preaching minister. We are excited about these things. This is where we choose to focus. At this time, I'd like to ask the other elders to join me up here on the stage. And while they're coming, a couple of additional thoughts. We intend to present a summary of our comprehensive study for everyone who is interested sometime next year. We'll probably offer a class option whenever we can work it into the class schedule. 
We also recognize that some of you have questions for us about our decisions on the musical styles in worship. So several of our elders will be available to visit with you this afternoon, 2 to 4, next Sunday afternoon, 2 to 4, and this coming Wednesday night at 7. We'll be in room 180B back in the adult classroom area, uh, and we'd love to visit with you. But also, you can call us at any time. Our phone number's on the back of the bulletin. One other comment. We also owe you an answer on the roles of men and women in the worship assembly, but have not finished discussing that topic, and that will have to come later. Okay. We're here to show you that we are united in these positions. We continue to hold the position that the New Testament is silent on the topic of instrumental accompaniment in worship. We value the heritage of a cappella worship and will continue to offer a cappella worship at Greenville Oaks. In order to reach our vision and objectives and our community, we expect to add instrumental worship assembly to our current offerings at some time in the future, but now is not the time. In conclusion, I want to remind us of something Ian uh, mentioned in his class from our heritage. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. Your elders are committed to these three principles. Shane, will you close us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have uh, been blessed to witness the ways that you have worked through and blessed this church in, in the last uh, many years, Father. And we uh, look forward to seeing the way that you continue to bless this church in the future. Uh, Father, we ask you to bless us and to help us as we seek what your vision is for this congregation. And we pray, Father, that you will help each of us individually to grasp the importance and the urgency of bringing good news uh, of your kingdom to this town, to this county, and everywhere we can, Father. And help us to understand the importance of of, of being a light and being salt and being a blessing to the, the folks that we come in contact with each day. And fathers, we, we pray for wisdom and we pray for discernment. And above all, Father, in everything that we do, uh, we will uh, show our love for you and that we will show love for each other. And Father, this morning we confess our own weaknesses and our own limited abilities but we trust in your power and not ours, Father, and we trust that you want to do great things for this church, and we ask for your help and your blessing and your provision as we go forward. Father, I also want to pray for some other things for our church family this morning. Uh, we learned yesterday that uh, Tracy Fuller's nephew, his name is Reagan, uh, took his life yesterday, and uh, we, uh, we grieve for that family, and, and we pray that you will you will bless and comfort them, Father. And, and I know there are many 
in this uh, in this family who have, have recently lost someone close to them, uh, the, the Woodbridge family and the McCunes and uh, for Donna Tant, uh, for Richard Sanders. Father, for these families, we just pray your comfort, your peace, uh, that you will wrap your arms around them and, and care for them. We pray for Don Rutledge, who continues treatments for cancer, and I pray for his healing and pray for him. Uh, pray for him and Sydney as they go through this. Uh, and Father, for others here who are struggling with illnesses of all kinds, we pray your blessings and we pray healing. And Father, we pray for uh, those here who are struggling because they don't have a job or they don't have enough money to do what needs to be done. And we pray for your provision for them. We pray for our friends and family who are in the military. We pray for their protection, that they can come home soon. And, and Father, we all at times struggle in relationships, be it with our spouse, with our children, with our parents, with, with our boss, with our coworkers, with teachers and students, and everywhere, everywhere we turn, Father, there, there are struggles, and we pray that you will grant us wisdom um, and uh, give us your word and your spirit as we work through these things. Uh, Father, in this uh, very joyful season of the year, we... Uh, we're grateful. We also know that it, it brings about a, a lot of stress of its own. We're, we're in a hurry. We have a lot to do. Um, uh, stresses of, uh, from family and, and from all sources. Father, help us to take a step back and just uh, regain perspective to remember this is, uh, this is your world. We are your children, that, that you're in control, and that we can turn these things over to you. Father, thank you for the, the blessing of being here today. We just pray that you will walk with us, help us to see you at work each day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're dismissed.